This is New Japan superstar Clark Connors, the wild rhino himself, and you're listening to Wrestle It. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? I'm I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing right. How's the weather over there in Japan, where you live? Uh, it's 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 nice. A little bit of a little bit warm. How is it? How's the weather in the UK? It is sweltering hot. I cannot stand it. And now I think my hearing is going weird because you sound very, very German. I'm not sure what if you picked no, German. No, accent, no, maybe. definitely not. Uh, that's just how I how I talk English now in Japan because, of course, I need to talk differently here. Hmm. Hey Sam, what are your thoughts on Wave? Amazing promotion. Um, I think everyone should check it out. Uh, Kizuna Tanaka, the best wrestler in the world. She's way better than any TJPW girl that we have, of course. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Sam would never say that. You're not Sam. You're Yannick. I am. No, no, no. You. That's, you're, that's just you're very clear, Yannick. Here. You are very clear, Yannick. This is not Sam. Right. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this month's edition of the Tokyo Joshi Freedom Fighters podcast. And I am joined here by the man that I never wanted on this podcast in the first place, but he's wormed his way into a second appearance. It's Yannick, a.k.a. Peps, from the Five Star Network. Uh, yes, Sam is gone. He fell down a well. We can't find him. Uh, we wish him the best. He got kidnapped by Kizuna Tanaka. <laughs> he did. He got kidnapped by the Wave Mafia. Uh, <laughs> and Peps, in fairness, very graciously stepping in uh, to make Yeah, this of course, I'd love to be here. I have a question. Okay. Am I the first guy who has been appeared twice on this podcast and isn't called Sam of Finlay? <laughs> I think you are. You are the first repeat yes. guest here, which is a very prestigious honor. History um, maker. <laughs> history maker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, very, very happy to be here um, to discuss what is, by TJPW standards, kind of a low-key month, but a lot has still happened. I think it's just been such a stacked, like, year. So much, like, wild shit has happened that, like, a relatively normal month feels uneventful, but we've still got a ton of shit to talk about. Um, and I guess I'll just dive right in. Now, I want to ask for a start, what are your thoughts on Hyper Marcel? Because we are a very pro Hyper Marcel podcast. What are your thoughts on, oh, on her as a wrestler? Um, I'm okay. Uh, I think she's one of the most innovative wrestlers that you have currently in wrestling. It's okay. like so different in such a good way that she always like like finds a way to entertain me and entertaining me in wrestling by just simply doing bits is not that easy mm. um shout out to 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 haruna neko she <laughs> does not entertain me oh <laughs> that's the thing yeah. because like because normally with me and Sam, obviously, we have a lot of tension, but we do tend to agree on a lot of our wrestling takes. Whereas with you, I know we have disagreements. So it's like all of a sudden, it's like uh, uh, we could have some kind of uh, disagreement and a fight could break yes. out. Um, but like, in my, in my humble opinion, Hyper Mistow is just a Jeff Jarrett of Teacher Pit <laughs> Incredibly based, yes. Just yes, like incredibly based and entertaining. Um, because when this show uh, was announced that Hypermissile was going to be producing her own wrestling show, I was really excited. Because, like you say, Hypermissile, as we've said a lot on this podcast, is an incredibly creative and incredibly innovative wrestler. Not just in terms of doing cool moves or, you know, having good stories. Like, she approaches wrestling in a way that is very different to the traditional mold that you would expect. Um, and as we talk about this show, I think people will understand that this is not a normal wrestling show. And it's 
going to be very hard to dissect as though it's a normal wrestling show um, because there are a lot of stuff in here that really pushed the envelope yeah. and really was quite um, really creative. Um, yeah, it's it's a wrestling show that fits perfectly to like the fan base TJPW has built over the years. Mm. So it's definitely an experience for someone as just like me who isn't that much into TJPW, like for example, like Finlay or Sam or others are. This was very much, this was like, this was a very fan service show. This was one that for people who like Masao and people who are really into like the lore of TJPW and like deep diving into that, this was a real treat. But I think if you're not familiar with TJPW, this shouldn't be your first show because yes, you will um, be <laughs> caught very off guard. Um, yeah, uh, there, there was someone on Twitter, uh, I just, will just mention it real quick, that like mm -hmm. asked, yeah, should I watch the match? And it was the main event of the show, Kyuryu and Aina versus Arusa Endo and Riki Tsumi, because it has a high rating on cage match. <laughs> and I was like, if you're not a full-time TGPW fan, it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't like Osprey and Shingo Takagi level of, you know, a nine on cage. This was like, this was... This wasn't. I mean, we'll we'll touch on the main event later because it was a very unique match in itself. But this entire show was really quite unique, and it unique in the sense that it started out um, with a cutscene because this show, this entire show, was kind of like half wrestling show, half movie. So we start with a cutscene uh, where Hyper Masao gathers uh, a group of prospective Hyper Masao twos um, <laughs> to take up her place, the, the mantle of Hyper Masao, um, and they're all kind of like not very into the idea. They don't want to do the match. And so Hyper Masao recruits the help of a hypnotist to <laughs> get them all into doing the match. Um, and of this group of Masao's, we have Miyu Watanabe, uh, Yugi Kamifuku, and Moka Miyamoto all dressed as like the modern Hyper Masao gear. Uh, we have Suzume as the kind of Junkasai match era Hyper Masao. Uh, we have Raku dressed in the tracksuit, which was Hyper Masao's first costume. And we have, and this is again, this is a very law heavy show. We have Himawari as Akemi Doradasore, which I've probably said wrong, uh, which came from a gimmick change that Masao did in 2020 when she lost against Shoko Nakajima. Yes. And they do that thing where you have to like swap uh, your gimmick for a month. Um, and this match was uh, kind of what you'd expect. It was kind of like, You've got all these wrestlers doing like the typical Masao shtick. You've got the sprays. You've got the uh, like the shenanigans. You've got uh, Miyu Watanabe taking off her cape and choking people out with it. Um, and in the end, it was Suzume who came out the victor. Um, but obviously, <laughs> so Hyper Masao comes in to congratulate her and get her to start her training course, which is nine hundred ninety thousand yen. Uh, and when Suzume finds this out, she breaks out of the trance. She's like, what the hell is going on here? This is a scam. Uh, and tragically, does not take up the mantle of the second type of Masao, uh, as blessed as that would have been. Um, but this was kind of a fun opener. It kind of set the tone for the night that this is going to be like... Um, it, it's worth noting as well, Hyper Masao did not wrestle on this show. There was not a single match yeah. on yeah. her own produced show. Um, I was definitely like up. sure that she's getting when the show was announced. But definitely sure, okay, she's getting the main event against <laughs> I don't know someone from the outside, someone like Jin Kasai or whatever, mm. just to have something on there. But she was like a non-wrestling role, but she was still in the focal point all the time, pretty much. Yeah, like she was the main character of the show, 
somehow without wrestling and that's kind of like um it, it's kind of quite emblematic of hyper Masao that she chose to use her own produced show to kind of lift up other wrestlers and obviously still having that theme of Masao and having like her character and her law tied into it but using that to elevate other wrestlers rather than necessarily showcase herself um and it's a fun little opener um and i really liked seeing them all in like the different hyper Masao costumes i think it's one thing I always love about TJPW when they do like the costume change matches. You get to see them all in different like looks. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, second match uh, was uh, Shoko Nakajima, obviously Masao's regular tag partner, against the Iron Man Heavy Metalweight Champion Yoshihiko. Um, <laughs> now, for those of you not familiar with Yoshihiko, uh, Yoshihiko uh, is not a human being. Yoshihiko is a blow-up doll. What? No. Um, <laughs> Please come on, look well, at him. Look well, how he wrestles. He's clearly a human being. Well, listen, rumors, rumors say that um, Yoshiko is a blow-up doll, and uh, you may be familiar. I think if you're like even at all familiar with DDT, you've probably heard of Yoshiko. Quite an infamous and kind of quite controversial figure, but uh, we love Yoshiko here. Um, and this match, as weird as it sounds, was played completely straight. Like this was just a completely normal wrestling match. Um, and not only was it a normal wrestling match, it was a really good normal wrestling match. Um, it was kind of just like Shoko Nakajima and Yoshihiko doing a lot of like chain wrestling, doing a lot of reversals, doing a lot of like roll-ups and cool moves. Um, there was a spot where the dastardly Shoko Nakajima low-blowed Yoshihiko as the referee wasn't looking. Um, but in the end, it was Yoshihiko getting the win with the O'Connor roll. Um, and I just thought this was really funny that, like, this was just a normal wrestling match. There was not any kind of, like, shenanigans or any kind of, like, uh, foul play going on. This was just, like, it was a straight wrestling match that somehow... And this happens with Yoshihiko, that like, you watch the match and it's a testament to how good Shoko Nakajima is. Yes. That you forget she's wrestling a blow-up doll. It's like, it just because, like, it absorbs you and it becomes, like, this really good normal wrestling match. Um, yeah, and it happens often with Yoshihiko. Like his matches, just showcase how good his his wrestling partner is, and that was like the perfect example with Shukunakajima, mm. who bumped, took so many different moves that you had like no idea you could can take without any help. <laughs> like, I think she took even a German suplex from from Yoshihiko. Rich, yes, yes. I'm like, how? <laughs> It's, I mean, I, I I have seen it often before with with uh, Yoshiko doing German suplexes, but always I'm like, holy, how <laughs> does that work? Yeah, it was like a high angle German as well. And it's like, it's that thing of that old adage of you know, a great wrestler can have a great match with a broom, and that's exactly what Shoko Nakajima has done here. And it's it's a again, it's a showcase of somebody that Hyper Masao is obviously very fond of. Um, one of her kind of closest associates in TJPW. Um, and just a really good reminder of like how good Shoko Nakashima is. It feels like since losing the belt, she's kind of um especially with like the shifting landscape of Tokyo Joshi, we've got Neo Yamashita and Makiito both sort of going to America, uh, and Yuka Sakasaki obviously. So Shoko is like the veteran who's still there and is still holding the fort down. Um and it's just good to see her, you know, get that spotlight and be able to showcase how good she is against a blow-up doll. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really nice sort of... Um, surprisingly, 
<laughs> like great match. Um, and then, okay, so this is the match. This is the centerpiece of the show. And this is a match that's going to require a lot of explanation. Um, so the match on paper is Maharu Kiryu and Yuki Aino against Rika Tatsumi and Arisuendo, which is a fairly normal match on paper. That's sort of, you would expect that from a TJPW tour card show. The first sign that this isn't a conventional match is that it's revealed before the match that this is the final to the Miracle Heart Catch Tournament, a tournament that doesn't exist, at least <laughs> not in this reality. Um, so Mahiro and uh, Yukiano come out, Rika Tatsumi and Arisuendo come out, they have a straight wrestling match, and Arisu puts Mahiro in a camel clutch. And then the lights go out and time stops. Everybody stops, Arisuendo stops, apart from Mahiro Kiryu. So everybody is perfectly still. A mysterious masked woman wearing a lab coat who looks like Hyper Masao, but we don't know that it's Hyper Masao. It could be anybody. Comes out and uh, tells Mahiro that she needs to win this match or the world will collapse. That's the stakes we're dealing with here. Mahiro needs to win or the entire universe will implode. And Mahiro's like, what? Okay. Um, <laughs> so what they do here is they traverse to an alternate universe. Uh, and throughout these alternate universes, um, Mahiro's character changes and Rika Tatsumi and character changes as well. Um, so in the first alternate universe, we have a cutscene and Tetsuya Koda is sat in his office and is looking through applications for the Up Up Girls, which is obviously TJPW's um, idol group. Um, and Miyu Watanabe and Raku are still in the group as normal and she comes across Hikari Noah's um, application. And he looks at it and she's like, eh, she's kind of lame. Fuck Hikari Noah, we don't need her. Let's bring in Mahiro Kiryu. Um, so Mahiro Kiryu comes out and does, <laughs> I think it's like two full songs with Miyu and Raku um, as an up-up girl. Um, and then they wrestle the match as normal again. And Mahiro once again finds herself in a losing position. Um, already we're getting <laughs> into quite complex territory. Uh, so the mysterious master woman appears once more and is like, no, we fucked up. We need to go to another alternate universe. In this alternate universe, uh, and this was my favorite one because Mahiro Kiryu and Yuki Aino, I think this is like a reference to like Japanese theater, but they come out as Romeo and Juliet. And Mahiro's like, Mahiro's look is just so like, it's so pretty. I loved it. She's dressed as like this handsome Shakespearean character and it's just so cute um, <laughs> and they come out and then and this was like the highlight of the show for a lot of people Rika Tatsumi and Rizuendo come out but because of the timeline shenanigans they're not Rika Tatsumi and Rizuendo. they're like badass dark lipstick chains around the next versions of Rika Tatsumi and Rizuendo. Uh and Rika is the black dragoness and Rizuendo does like the <laughs> the Dave Batista like thumbs up to thumbs down thing when she's in the ring um, and that spells danger for Mahiro and Dino and once again they find themselves in the losing position yeah um, from, from what I got I think their gimmick should have was like a 80s Joshi <laughs> heel thing where they just attack violently the, the opponents it's like a Joshi thing in the 80s back then mm. I think it's just something they copied Okay, okay. It was it was so cool. Like I loved that. Um, so they hop into another alternate universe, and this time the plan is simpler. They just spike Rika Tatsumi and Arisuendo's drinks, and they come out, and they've got upset stomachs and all that. 
Um, but then, and this really popped me, Neo Beastie Gun come out, but it's not Neo Beastie Gun. It's Neo Chiski Gun, <laughs> uh, which is comprised of Chisaki-sama, who resembles uh, Yannick's favorite wrestler, Haruna Neko, uh, and her maid, Antonio Honda. Um, and this obviously messes things up quite a bit. And once again, Maharu loses the match. And then, <laughs> after all of this, we get to a moment in the match that changes. So it, it's worth noting about this match. Um, if you are not a Japanese speaker, this match is really confusing um, because yeah. they're hopping through all these different timelines. There's little like this cut scenes. There's little skits in between because you could tell they were like trying to stall for time as everybody got changed for all the costume changes. Uh, so the skits were like Sayuri Number invites people in to wear silly masks or just like eat a cheesecake or something. I had no idea. Like even um, yeah with the benefit of because if you look on the dramatic ddt website they do have like a recap that helps out a bit um, yeah um, this was uh... yeah I, I wanted to i wanted to say that the, the problem here for for us especially as english speaker was there were no official translations in the vod <laughs> so we needed to look up for like different sites or like twitter pages or whatever to, like have some clue what's going on <laughs> yeah this was somewhere like i really missed the old tjpw english update you know the, the hakusan twitter account um because that would really have helped out here um because it's like even as you're listening to this podcast like, i normally i say like go watch a match and then listen to this i think listen to this then watch the match because if you don't listen to this or if you don't have like an english frame of reference you will be so confused because um, <laughs> this was a very um, not even necessarily like Japanese, but just a very law-heavy match. And I think having subtitles or just some kind of like official English translation would have been useful. Um, but I mentioned that because um, this is where it gets really like, as you're watching the match, it gets quite law-heavy. So the space-time police come out um, and they reveal that the woman in the mask who looked exactly like Hyper Masao was in fact Hyper Masao. And they haven't been traveling through alternate universes. They've been altering the timeline, um, which is a crime, apparently, according to the space-time police. So Hyper Masao gives this speech about like her upbringing. And if you've listened to the podcast or you are familiar with Hyper Masao, you know like her origin story is quite emotional and quite um, moving. And Mahiro gives her own little uh, speech about like how I think her mum was in ill health when she started wrestling, and it's, that's kind of driven her. Um, and this, like, I really wished we had subtitles because this was genuinely like quite a moving point in the match. Um, and I just wish that there was some way of knowing exactly what they were saying because um, there was like a lot of this was like Roman Reigns match level dialogue. <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of stuff here. Um, but in the end, it's sort of like the, the conceit was that Mahiru was like, I don't regret my past. Uh, I can't change my past. I need to look to the present and the future. And Masao, there's like a really nice like cinematic moment where Masao takes off her mask and leaves a sort of coat in the ring and walks off to the, the space-time police. Um, and they run the match back once more, this time as a normal match. And Mahiru is like a lot more invigorated. She has a lot more spirit. Um, and she still loses, which is unfortunate because I was hoping she'd win, but no. <laughs> uh, Mahiro loses once again. Uh, but Rika, after the match, is like, oh, you did a good job. Um, I, I was surprised by how um, 
in a well you fought um and everybody comes out and they kind of do the, the whole uh celebration thing but um yeah it was like i really loved this match but it it's not the sort of match you can watch the whole way through unless you have japanese knowledge or you have like subtitles because it's like and that was a shame i thought because it's like i really loved what this match did it it was it genuinely like pushed the boundaries of what a wrestling match can be it felt more like theater at points it felt more like um i was watching a film um <laughs> because it's like they they interweave like cut scenes there was like the whole alternate timeline uh kind of multiverse storyline going on uh, i loved all the different looks i loved all the different like uh cosplays and stuff but it, <laughs> it it if i was watching it they didn't release the show live but if i was watching it live i think there'd be a lot of moments where i'm like i have no idea what's going on here and that would be a problem um but overall i like, i thought this was a really good match i thought like my issues with understanding it aside it's one of my favorite matches of the year i just could never watch it the whole way through again because it, like yeah it, it would be a really it is an hour something like it, over yeah, an hour it is it's like quite comfortably the longest match in the history of tjpw because of like how often they had to uh go back and get changed and stuff um but yeah this was like i i, I really respect hyper myself like her willingness to experiment with wrestling and kind of you know really take what wrestling is and just stretch it out to its like most extreme and see how far you can get and have it still be a wrestling match because i like yannick's watched a lot more wrestling than i have but i would wager that even you haven't watched a match quite like this one before um i don't think anyone has because that's <laughs> yeah. no no for real it's like such a special and different match from anything i've ever seen before like of mm. course we had something in wwe with the firefly funhouse more mm. or like more cinematic matches there but they were like still totally different from what we have seen here and that made this match so special of yeah. course i need to admit it's it's not something i would watch again or like mm. I wouldn't mind if that's like, you know, just a one time thing and they just, you know, drop the the, the, the bit now and next time if they do another hyper massage or they come up with something totally different, mm -hmm. I would have no problem with that because it's not something I normally like. But I think the way they told the story and, and presented it or told the story of this match and presented this match was fantastic. And for the fans of Hyper Missile, this was like the best possible match it could have did yeah like, outside of her outside of her maybe being in the role herself like doing mm. some some wrestling or stuff but yeah yeah that's the thing it's like to be able to do this in front of a live audience as well because like there's been a lot of cinematic matches but they're all cinematic like that i would say they're less like wrestling matches and more like films that feature wrestling whereas this was genuinely like the live fans were there they all loved it they all got to see a lot of like actual wrestling going on um, but it's just like the 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 brain that it takes to go like okay i'm gonna work my own personal character history into this i'm gonna take maharu's own character history into this i'm gonna take this whole multiversal time space <laughs> like manipulation storyline into it it's so creative and i love it so much and it's like i think that if um 
genuinely, I think that if there were subtitles, this would be like one of my favorite matches of all time. As it is, I love it, but I feel like I personally can't love it as much as maybe somebody who knew what was going on loved it because purely because of like the thingle barrier. Because there's if there's one negative to this match, it's that it does kind of depend on you being able to follow it. And because there's a lot of cutscenes and there's a lot of like dialogue that if you're not a Japanese speaker, you can't understand. Um, that is a shame. But outside of that, um, this was... I loved this. I'm so happy that it exists. Um, yes. I, I, I'm I glad that TJPW gave myself a space to do that. And I don't think that many of the promotions would do that. Just bank on one of their wrestlers having like full creative... And you could tell this was very much a myself thing. Like, nobody else is doing this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like I, I'm a really big fan of like giving them that room to explore their their creative um, expressions. So I thought that was great. Um, and there there was also a post credit scene where you saw like them all getting changed and all kind of um, having a fun time backstage. So I thought that was great. Um, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, when the show happened, we, I was like, why is this not live? And and Sam yeah. told the same to me because nobody knew what's happening. Right, we, we just we just saw pictures, so we had no clue. They had like an entire movie kind of there. Sam was like to me, "Yeah, I wish this was live." I said, "Like, yeah, I don't know why it's not live." And now I know why, <laughs> and now it totally makes sense. Yeah, like there's so much um, kind of uh, that could have did like obviously with like the code scenes stuff, it would have been a lot harder to do if it was live. I think to kind of like get the timing, yeah, stuff, right? especially um, the time they are dressing because. Clearly, they had something in between because I don't think the the, the videos or like like mm. what they showed on the screen was as long as they took to totally get into the new gear because yeah. sometimes it looked like they took a long time. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. This was like a theater production, so they had to like get out of the wrestling gear. They had to, especially Maharo, who changed her look every single time from mm -hmm. Up Up Girl to Romeo to <laughs> sort of regular Maharo. Um, but yeah, I thought that this was. Um, I I would like to see because I don't have any translation skills. But if any like committed fan out there was to make a subtitled version of this, I would watch that back and I would yes. probably have that as maybe my favorite match ever. But as it stands, it's it was great. I think that um, if you're into Masao, if you're into the law, and if you have a reference handy, if you have like the dramatic DDT website open as you're watching it. Um, absolutely go out of your way to watch this because you're not going to watch a match like this ever again. <laughs> this was like a, a very unique kind of wrestling match. Um, and I will say actually because um, uh, as you mentioned Masao didn't wrestle on this show but I thought it was great that she gave that spotlight to Maharo because mm -hmm. Maharo is genuinely and this might sound weird to people, is genuinely one of my favorite wrestlers in TJPW. There's something about her um in the kind of landscape of TGPW, which is full of very like outlandish characters, full of very larger than life figures, Maharu being this kind of like unsure of herself, kind of apprehensive, kind of shy character has always kind of spoken to me. And I'm really glad that she's gotten this spotlight in the past month or so, um, which seems driven a lot by this match. And um, yeah. th th this match was almost more about Maharu than it was myself, which yes. for it being the Sellers producer was really... Um... And I have a question for you, Finlay. Mm -hmm. 
who do you think is your favorite Schalke player? <laughs> My favorite Schalke player? Uh, I reckon if, if Mahara was to ever have a career change and sign for Schalke, I'd, I'd yes. very much root for her. <laughs> so. But I bet she likes Simon Terodde. <laughs> <laughs> I bet so. That's the thing. is, I, I guess that's another thing that draws me to myself is that when I first discovered her, and I found out that she live tweeted like Schalke matches and was like a huge fan of Maxim Chupo emoting. Um, she's just such an He's incredible... my striker, okay? <laughs> <laughs> she's such an incredible human being. Um, and yeah, I really loved that like she, of all people, was the one to get the spotlight here. Um, and there yeah, was because... a bit of a. Um, oh, you can. Uh... No, no, especially like you said, she's like not someone who gets a lot of spotlight in terms of booking or like getting big matches. Did she like you? I bet you know that. that did she ever get a title match in her career? I let me look. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. Hmm. Uh, she challenged um, Kamifuku and had like princess title matches with. with uh, okay, okay, of course. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but she's genuinely like a very quite an overlooked wrestler, um, and that's not anybody's fault. I think that she is just kind of like. Um, although I say that in the roster. Yeah, yeah, like she's not. She's not going to be the ace of the company. She's never going to be like Amiya Watanabe or somebody like that. But Suzume, yeah, like she's not. She's not one of those. And now we can sort of freely praise Suzume because the uh, yes. the dastardly anti-Suzume co-host isn't here. Um, but yeah, Mahiro is never going to be like one of those. But she's just such like a, a, a an engaging character. Like a lot of people praise Hangman Page for that reason of being like really relatable and quite open about like their insecurities. And I think that Mahiro has a similar kind of, obviously not on the same scale, but Mahiro has a similar quality to someone like Adam Page, where it's like you root for them because you kind of see yourself in them. Um, and they did actually, so there was a tour show just after this um, in Camille's hometown, uh, where they kind of continued on from this story, uh, at least in the sense of like Mahiro's growing self-confidence. Uh, there was a match I think I can have a look at what it was. It was uh, Shoko and Kamifuku versus Ajakong Mahiro. Yes. Um, See, I know that stuff. Real DJBW <laughs> fan. We have a real well prepared uh, co host. Um, but I mentioned actually, as I was writing this, Mahiro Kiryu at this moment in time felt like the main protagonist of TJPW because she went from. Um, I think they had a match on, I think the match show we mentioned last month. Uh, there was like a bit of dissent between Mahiru and Kimiyu. There was like a bit of tension there. And then we have the Hyper Masao show where Mahiru is very much the main character straight into this one. So May was like the month for Mahiru Kiryu fans. That was like a big month for us. Um, and so they continue on with like the Kimiyu and Mahiru kind of uh, tension here where there was a lot of kind of fire in their interactions and a lot of like heft between what they were doing. Um and in the end, Camille got the win. And it seems to be a trend here where Mahiru, despite having like this big character growth, ends up on the losing end still. Um, because that's just part of what Mahiru is. Um, but I thought it was really nice that like they kind of kept that uh, story going. Even into the Korokin that we'll talk about later, they kind of had that um, that Mahiru arc um, being like the main focus of the show. Um, and also on that show, uh, Asuka made an appearance, and we always love Asuka, so do check that out. If you <laughs> there was like a German suplex, I think, <laughs> kind of viral on Twitter, which like totally ended the bird career. Yeah, it's a really brutal high angle German to Kaito Bami, where it's like, oh, 
that poor oh, bird. Um, but yeah, we love Asuka, and everybody with good taste loves Asuka, so do check that out um, on Wrestle Universe. Now, before we get into the Korokan show, there was major news a few days before this show that Yuka Sakasaki, who obviously will be leaving AW, uh, leaving TGPW at the end of the month, um, had a neck injury and both couldn't wrestle on this show and had to vacate the tag belts, um, which puts us in an interesting situation because um, Mizuki obviously had uh, two belts. She had the main title and the tag title. Uh, this does now open up room on Summer Sun Princess for a tag title match. Um, and it does beg the question of who's going to be the next tag champions. Uh, right now, we have no idea like what the plans are for the belt because it's quite fresh news. Um, but they have got a lot of options if they want to kind of... We've got free Wi-Fi. We've got Daisy Monkey. Um, we've got... Yeah. Uh, I've seen Shoko and myself floated as potential options. Um, I, yeah. And this kind of tells me that the title change wasn't happening on the Kurikin Hall show because otherwise it just would have done it anyway. There yeah, were a lot true. of possibilities. Like, kind of how they told the story with Mizuki, they could have easily said, yeah, Mizuki is defending the belt for both of them. So, like, for mm. herself and Yuka against them, and they could easily have done the title change. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But that actually, seems yeah. like to me that they have something in mind for the belts, and it does not include Hakajimo, so Daydream, whatever you want to call them. Mm. And that's kind of refreshing for the tag team division because we had them already as the champions for a long time, so I don't need them again. Yeah, and you also find yourself in the same situation where Rika Tatsumi would be a double champ now, so you, you would still have the issue of not being able to do both belts on a show. Um so it's like, obviously it sucks for Yuka and we hope that she recovers soon, but it yeah. is quite exciting because it feels like, especially with tag teams, there's so many like fresh young tag teams that are ready for the belt and could really like uh, make the tag scene a lot more vibrant. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Like I personally would like to see free Wi-Fi get a run because I think they've been so good um, for such a it's long like, time. Yeah two possibilities uh, what I would do. And the first one is free Wi-Fi, and the other one is um, Suzume and Arisendo. Mm. And it's like, those two should be the, the focal point of the tag team division in the next year, because every other tag team either already held the belt or is like, okay, I'm not that interested in them holding the belts yet. Mm. Like, um, like, like Mahiro, Yukika Mifuku is a cool tag team, but I don't need them with the belts yet for example. Yeah. So they should be the two fighting for it. And I guess that's also the direction it will go. Yeah, like I feel like, especially because like we saw, I think it was the America show where Free Wi-Fi and Daisy Monkey were the openers, and they had that crowd like really heavily invested. And they're both teams that, I feel like both teams are at a point where they can hold the tag belts and be very comfortable with them because they know what they are and they're kind of like, there's not a lot of improvement you really need to see out of them. So, um, yeah, very interesting situation. Uh, I guess we'll we'll find out more in the coming days or weeks about um, what's going to happen there. Um, but yes, so then we come on to the most recent Corrigan Hall show uh, called Stick Out 2023, which is an interesting name. Um, commentary for this show, uh, at least on the English feed, was Balianaki, Chris Brooks, and Drew Parker. I think you watched the Japanese feed, did you? Yes. Um, yeah, um, so you missed out on like 
<laughs> because see this is like one of the major points of disagreement is that I'm a huge Balianaki enjoyer and <laughs> Yannick very much not a huge Balianaki enjoyer um, no it's it's really nothing against Balianaki it's just overall <laughs> I, I, I don't enjoy English commentary that much yeah. and I don't need uh, the translations of like promos and stuff because I can just look on Twitter and mm. get everything in, in the next like five seconds yeah like, because I, um, this is one of my, like, kind of major things. I loved the commentary for this show, and I get that it's not for everybody. There's going to be a lot of people who, um, I think, yeah, I, I said it to you. Sorry that I interrupt mm. you, but I think Drew Parker's amazing on commentary. Yeah, yeah. Like, Drew, Drew Parker is, like, really laid back, and he's also really funny. Like, I think it helps, um, to be, like, kind of really comfortable and funny on commentary. And the relationship that he has with Chris as well, they bounce off each other really well. Um, and I thought that it was just nice to... They have a very kind of, like, friendly Saturday morning television kind of, like, uh, vibe where, like, they're just kind of mates watching the show, kind of laid back. They know what they're talking about as well, which is, like, a bit hit or miss with Puro. Sometimes you get commentators who aren't that familiar with the product, okay. um, which can be really quite off-putting. But obviously, they Chris Brooks is very adjacent to the promotion, as is Aki and Drew, so they know what they're talking about. Um and yeah, I thought they were really good um, and just kind of really um, good commentary can really improve a show. And I think that that was what I felt at least watching the English feed. Um, so we start out uh, free Wi-Fi against Runa, Okubo and Toga. Uh, Runa, one of the 14 to 15 year old trainees, uh, which always throws me off because it's like I'm not used to having wrestlers that young in Tokyo Joshi. Um, and I think that they, they describe it on the English commentary team as child abuse, the way that free Wi-Fi <laughs> treat Runa sometimes, because like they're not they're not a friendly tag team. They're a very kind of like um pesky and, and hard-hitting tag team. Um the highlight of this match was um Toga's elbow. Her like forearm strikes are so hard. Um Yeah, and they... Toga's just just really good for a rookie. Like she's tall, she can hard hit, she can hit hard. What else do you need as a rookie? <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, like, need. that's the thing that she she stands out so much already because like TJPW, the the first thing you think of isn't necessarily like hard hitting, stiff, brutal forearm strikes, but she brings like that kind of um, a very unique air in sort of how she carries herself. I think she's like quite tall as well by at least by Joshi standards. So yeah. Um, yeah, so like it, it's really good to have that um, kind of uh, to stand out so early on. So I'm I'm interested to see um, like how she develops. Like I think character-wise, it's interesting because she's not her character does not seem that imposing or intimidating yet. So how she refines that will be interesting because she reminds me a bit of Maharu Kiryu right now, where she's kind of a bit like um, she she's normal. I I, I yeah, know if yeah. it's like compliment or not, but she's just <laughs> normal. Yeah, he's just is a human of... being. <laughs> yeah, like... you know, it's, it's 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 something you have a lot of TCPW, but you, the 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 characters are not normal. They're like not normal human beings. You have like Raku, <laughs> who's like a god. <laughs> I mean, that that's also kind of a meme, but, but you know, and you have like then then you have like Toga or or Mayuru Kiryu, who are just normal in terms of they don't have anything, <laughs> any not any can character trait that's like hmm. stands out compared to others. Yeah, it's like it, it's the irony of being in TGPW, which is that 
not standing out makes you stand out because everybody yeah. else is so like unique. So I guess it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's like I kind yeah, of like of course, the of um, the kind of normal. And speaking of wrestlers who very much are not normal, the next match on this card: Pom Harajuku against Himawari, which is the complete complete opposite of normal. Um, uh, I will say actually, there were streamers on the show, and Pom Harajuku got a lot of streamers. Um, she was very over with the uh, the local fans. Um, and Pom comes out and she's got Himawari's kind of hairstyle uh, of like the braids. Uh, but obviously Pom's hair not anywhere near as long as Himawari's. So like she tries to do the uh, like the hair whip, but she has to move like right up close to Himawari to have it connect. Um, a lot of hair-based offense in this match, which I thought was um, a lot of fun. This was like exactly what you would expect from a Pom Harajuku and Himawari match, where it's like Pom being very silly and Himawari being very like uh based because we love Himawari here. Um Himawari, like I I'm always stunned that she's been wrestling for as little as she has. Um because like her approach to wrestling just seems so like um uh so interesting. Like the way that she does moves, she has like that um <laughs> there was a spot in this match where she does like the the drop down and that the opponent jumps over and she trips them up where she does that on the outside and they run around the ring uh but pom did the, i'm not sure what happened here she does the drop down and pom falls over like two yards away from her and lands <laughs> on her so it's like whether she just tripped up on the mat or something um but yeah him and pom uh i mean it's not gonna win any awards but i thought it was a really fun like little uh little undercard match um as you sort of expect from Pom Harajuku. Yeah, um, I I need to praise Mowari for a bit. Um, mm. She's so good. Uh, she just has the, the, the it factor that like not many wrestlers have, but she just has it. She comes out and you feel like, okay, she's going to be a, a star in the future. That was, um, I don't know if you have seen her two or three matches. She had an Actress Girls in the summer of 2022, but she already mm. was there. Like She had a more expansive gear, which she I would expect to bring back in the future when she's more moved up more in the card, mm. and that made her look like more of a star than she already <laughs> looks like right now. Um, I I expect a lot from her in the future, and I think uh, the the matches she has or like the outing she has in the GPW show how much potential she has, especially for her experience. It's clear that she got some 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 really good training. And that she has some, some kind of background. I don't know what kind of background she has, but she definitely has some background how to act in the ring in terms of like like presenting herself. Mm. I would guess she was an actress, but I don't know that for sure. <laughs> if anyone knows that, they should just just please tell me. I want to find it out. <laughs> DM me, I can tell them. I have high hopes in her. Yeah, it's like it's the exact opposite of um, the thing we're talking about with Toga, where Toga kind of feels very kind of like plain and still trying to work out what her character is. Himawari knows exactly what she is. And you like are so drawn to her when she comes out. You're like, this person is going to light up the room. Um and she's just such a like a uh such a self-assured performance. Like that thing, like she must have had some kind of experience prior to this, or else she's just like a really bubbly person. Um because like you do not get the sense that she's nervous or out of place or you know anything like that. Um, she does feel uh, very, very uh, self-assured to the point where I was surprised 
that she wasn't in the Princess Club because I was like, well, him or Ari, she's kind of like a big but Then I realized, no, she's like super new. She wouldn't be in it anyway. But um, yeah, like she just has that that thing, that, that, that presence that kind of draws you in. I think it's a really, at such a, a young level of experience as well. That's a really impressive trait to have. Um, so we move on to the third match on the card. The return of the greatest professional wrestler of all time, Yuki Arai. Um, I don't remember if she was injured last time we did the podcast, um, but she has been out for a bit with a knee injury, I think, that I think she got from SKE48 practice, not wrestling. Um, but she did return on this card. Um, any card that doesn't have Yuki Arai is a worse card than a card that does have Yuki Arai. So it's very, Are we dead very sure about that? <laughs> I am very sure about that. I was... Listen... As great as the Masao show was, imagine if Yuki Arai was there and was we had Hyper Arai. That would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, we had the return of the Queen, Yuki Arai, and also some other people were in this match. Uh, it was Kamiyu, Karatobami, Wakana Uehara against Yuki Arai, Shino Suzuki, and Raku. Um, you always get these kind of like on a TGPW show where it's kind of like the wrestlers that don't have other matches are just sort of put into a tag match. Um mm-hmm. So not a ton to talk about. It was kind of as you'd expect. Um, there was a fun little um, interaction between Kimiyu and Shino Suzuki where Shino hits a drop kick that is like a bit stiff and then Kimiyu kind of like gives her a receipt of like another really stiff drop kick, um, which I thought was like a lot of stiff moves on this show, uh, especially of TGBW standards. It's just a very like hard hitting um, event. Um, but yeah, Kimiyu... Um, Hits the famous on Shino and gets the win. Um, yeah, just fun little six-woman tag. Not much to write home about. Um, but then, what I what I liked uh, about it, I, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, like hmm. saw it that at the beginning during the entrances, like I think they changed their 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 gear, like like from I don't know how it's called in English. <laughs> um, the 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 what I have around their arms. Oh, the. Sleeve, yeah, this, this, this yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know, like, like they had, I think, I think it was, um, um, Shino having the sleeve of, of Raku on and, and something else. Okay, they, they, they yeah. traded it at least, hmm. yeah, because so actually... they had it like the full match on, and I was like, oh, that's <laughs> cool, yeah. I think Camille has new gear as well, which on the English commentary, uh, I think Brooks and Drew spoke to Camille before the show. And Camille said she wanted to change her gear because she didn't want to look like Chris Brooks, which I thought was really uh, <laughs> quite quite mean to Chris. But um, yeah, Camille with new gear look ironically looks more like Chris Brooks now because she has like <laughs> this, like uh, I think she has like a translucent sleeve on like her left arm, which uh, is very reminiscent of Chris Brooks attire. But um, yeah, fun little match. And then we had a very thin lay bit of news. I was very excited about this. Uh, Summer Sun Princess Neo Bishigon will be returning against Yuki Arai and Wakana Uehara. We're going to be having Saki Sama and Yuki Arai interactions. And I was so excited about this. Um, it might be Saki Sama's last appearance in TJPW, actually. Um, because obviously, uh, in unrelated news, Saki Akai is retiring at the end of the year. Um, and how that could affect Saki Sama, we have yet to know. But. Um, yeah, this I think she's Saki Yakai's 
retirement is like November or October. I'm not entirely sure, but um, uh, November. So technically, she could work Wrestle Princess, but I she could actually. Yeah, that's true. But I think um, she she won't appear as um since since Saki Akai is likely going to be on the show. So we've yeah. never seen those in the same booth. <laughs> so this could end up being Saki Summer's final appearance, and I'm the the, the heart. My heart wants this to be like a passing of the torch for Saki Summer's like, oh Yuki Arai, you should join me and we get like Neobishiko and Yuki Arai, because like that's been like my theory for years, like ever since like I uh I think for, I think that one of my earliest tweets was like I want Yuki Arai and Neobishiko. So uh, I doubt that will happen, but if it did, I'd be very excited. But just like the prospect of Yuki Arai and Saki Summer interacting mm. is enough to make that match very very exciting for me so um tracking back to the the big story of the day we have hyper masao against mahiro kiryu the star of hype against the producer of hype um and hyper masao comes out in a jacket she's got a big megaphone she is the producer that is her character here and I thought this was a bit mean. Masao just starts like slandering Mahiro for no reason. She's like, "Oh, I'm the producer. I made you a star. You need to be more grateful." And Mahiro's like, "No, well, I, I did everything you asked me to." Um, so Masao's like bullying Mahiro, which I thought was like, um, but uh, this uh, Mahiro, uh, this actually is a sign of like Mahiro's kind of arc this month is that she didn't take it like lying down, like she stood up to Masao. Uh, which has kind of been like a recurring theme of Mahiro standing up to bullies. It was like Camille bullied her a lot, and Mahiro kind of had enough and started standing up to her. And now Masao comes out and she's bullying her, and Maha- Mahui, Mahiro stands up to her. Um, so it's kind of like a nice little uh, continuation, kind of like a bow on the little Mahiro Masao arc uh, this match. Um, again, the match itself is just kind of like a, a standard. Um, one-on-one uh, that I think Masao ends up winning. Um, but it was just nice to kind of like have that call back to the the hype main event and just have like, and also confirmation that it is canon in TGPW that it wasn't like an alternate universe, that that match actually did happen in real life um, in the continuity of TGPW, which I thought was, was nice. Um, but yeah, I uh, I liked that this match was on the card. Um, and Balianaki... Just- just um, like real life, the evil people. <laughs> I thought that was a great line. Um, just and it makes you wonder what Balianaki has been through. What producers has he met that have screwed him over? Um, but yeah, I thought it was a nice little match. Um, just a little behind the scenes. I am currently drenched in sweat. It's so hot here that I am like dying. Um, but. Well, now you know how now you know how Sam feels in the closet and <laughs> is in a Tanaka's home. I do. I feel bad for him. We need to go and rescue him. But uh, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the next episode. Is just going to be us like trying to retrieve Sam from the uh, the Tanaka We're gonna family. We're going to make our own hype show. <laughs> we are going to produce a fucking like hot fuzz style film, trying to get him out. Um, but yes, okay, third to last match on the card was Moka Miyamoto and Shoko Nakajima against Suzume and Haru, another of the, the children in the TGPW roster. Um, I thought this was... It was a bit of a weird choice for a third to last match because this wasn't a very, like, 
notable match. I don't think much. I mean, the most noteworthy thing for me was that Susan May's hair looked amazing because she has like <laughs> this. Um, it's kind of like she's got it more straight, and it's what looked really nice and really like. Um, uh, yeah, nice hair. Um, but Mokumi Mozo gets a submission win over Haru. Um, yeah, fun little match. Not much to kind of write home about, but just nice little showcase. Um, but then we get to like one of the major matches. We have Mizuki against Daydream. Now, this was supposed to be uh, Majirabi against Daydream, but obviously Yuka got injured. Uh, and instead of you know trying to rearrange the match or trying to reschedule it, they went, no. We're sticking you, Mizuki, in a handicap match against Rika Tatsumi and Miyu Watanabe, um, which I thought was really funny. Like when they first like announced that was happening, I was like, "Can't believe they're doing this!" But it turned out actually to be a really good match. Um, yeah, match, match quality wise, I had like never doubts, and it's gonna be bad because look at the three wrestlers in it. You have yeah, the likely the two best wrestlers in the company. The, the third best wrestler would be Suzume. <laughs> of course. No, of course, no, no, or seriously. You have like three of the best in the company right now, and, like them wrestling, especially with, with a cool underdog story with Mizuki and Yuka ringside screaming at her, like like pushing mm. her. Of course, it's like, it's going to work out. And it was a great match. It's like the booking decision behind it is, is not what, I've, what I would have done. At least. Mm. Yeah, like it's it's not. It, it it was one of those things where like you first see it and you're like, this is really weird, and it's like, um. But the way that they worked around it, I thought was really good because they had um they played on the Rika and Mizuki thing of Rika being like smitten with with Mizuki, and so it's kind of like a handicap match against Mi Watanabe at the start because Rika just completely ignores that she's teaming with her and starts teaming with Mizuki instead. So they do the uh, um. I don't even know what it's called, the dragon thing that she does. It's like the uh, the elbow drop uh, against Mio Watanabe. Um, and then it becomes more of like a traditional match and they kind of really play into uh, Mizuki's like underdog status. And like, she is one of the best underdog wrestlers out there right now. I mentioned last month the match against Soya yeah. Rec. Yeah, I loved that because I loved Mizuki fighting from behind and she was very much from behind there. And it was the same thing here where like, because she's so easy to root for and because she has like that smaller stature and um that kind of fighting spirit and is the champion sort of you know that she's good enough to pull out an upset which she almost did on a lot of occasions so um and they did such a good job that like i genuinely thought that mizuki was going to pull out the win and it wouldn't have hurt rika or Miu to have lost because it was like they they did such a good job of structuring the match to make it seem a bit more even. Um, and it's, yeah, and, it, and it's like, I mean, I don't know how they, how they are doing this, but but, but it's not like that Miu and, and Rika were like totally on the same page, especially in the beginning of the yeah. match. I think there was a spot where like Rika was just just just, just screaming at, at Miu <laughs> for, for some reason. I did not get why. Um, I think it was because I think Miyu was trying to tag in, but Rika was like, "No, I can do this." It's like as a one-on-one match because it's like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not like you're on the same page lately. Um, yeah, which is why I would guess. I mean, especially after their Crown Princess match, yes, the big match coming between them for either the Princess Cup or like like the pop, uh, the, mm. the 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 music belt, because um, we 
we both or like everyone knows me Watanabe is holding the belt down the line and Rikitsumi yeah. is an obvious challenger. So there's that and I think Mizuki getting the upset here wouldn't have been the right decision. So I'm glad she lost. But the way she lost made her still look strong as champion. Because in the end, she's still yeah. the top champion of the company. So you can't just pin her in like five <laughs> minutes or so. Even yeah. though that would have been even though that would have been a realistic scenario considering mm. she was two two e one against two of the most dominant wrestlers in TGPW right now. Yeah. Like they they did the best they could with this match, and I thought the the ending was was great. I think the way they booked it was great, uh, and yeah, like there's there's a a story there between Rika and Miu. Obviously, Rika recently taking the belt off Miu, um, so there's a bit of tension there. And with the Princess Cup coming up, that is a story. And actually, we'll get onto this later, but Miu is probably quite a big favorite for that tournament now, given that some big names are missing from it, um, and given the general like arc that the title is going on. Um, so something to keep an eye on there. Um, and then we move on to the main event, uh, which is uh, was not supposed to be the main event originally, but due to Yuka's injury, got shifted up to the main event. We had Yuki Aino against Arisu Endo. Um, very unconventional main event. I, I can't imagine, like even a couple of weeks ago, that anybody would imagine that this would main event a Korokan this year. Um, but it ended up, I think, surpassing a lot of people's expectations. I think they both went out there and they were both like people don't expect this to be great so let's just put on the best possible match we can um and i personally was really into this i thought they did a really good job given the circumstances they were in um because eriswendo is great but she's very new and she's never been in this position before of main eventing a korokan by herself um and yuki aino is somebody who kind of when people talk about TGPW is is often near the bottom of their favorite wrestlers is is often seen as somebody who's like a weaker link in TGPW. Uh, whether that's fair or not, I'm not sure. But she's not somebody that people associate with being like a great upper tier wrestler. Um, yeah, definitely, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this very much felt like Arisu was you know this young up and coming wrestler who had a lot to prove, and Yuki Aino had a lot to prove in terms of like the last time she main evented Dakarokan, I think, was the Shoko match, which was kind of a bit of a mess. Um, so she had a lot to kind of uh, prove here in terms of like, can I carry like not carry, but can I be part of a main event and like really put in a good shift here? So I think this match showed that Yuki Aino's Yukan is great at having a match, but not having the typical main event style that like Yuka hmm. or, or Shoko or like like do in the POP title matches. Yeah, she's, like she's, she cannot do that. It, it's okay hmm. because not everyone can do that. I mean, there's a ton of wrestling New Japan who cannot work the the thirty minute main event style classics. Hmm. It's the same in every other company, you know. And Yuka, I know, it, it cannot just work it, and that's. That's why she she looked way better in matches like here, where she is the one laying out the match in terms of like, okay, what are my strengths? And she lays it out in her way that she looks good at it, and also Arisa Anna looks good at it. Um, I know anyway, Anna is one of the most talented wrestlers in TGPW in terms of like experience and output she has. Um, mm-hmm. She's great, like like literally, she's great for her experience. And that was her biggest match ever. I think she did not have a Kuroki main event before. Definitely not a singles match. <laughs> yeah, but she I think did not maybe, have a Kuroki match. 
Oh, actually, I was going to say maybe there was a tag match, but I'm not sure if that opened the show or not. But they, I know Daisy Monkey have challenged my director before, but that might have been one of those where Yuka had to like leave early. But it was either that or the match against Free Wi-Fi. But um... it was the co-main event oh, okay, after okay. Yuki Aino versus Shukunakushima show. Oh wow, okay. Um, but yeah, so this was her like easily the biggest match of her career, and she did really well. Like Arisu is somebody who I think I I kind of stepped on for a bit until she kind of had like I think it was the match against Mizuki last year that was like so good, and then I was like, wow, she's actually great, um, and she just consistently delivers every time you put her in like these uh, bigger, more high pressure matches. Um, yeah, like she is just a really um, somebody that kind of like I would say is just below the Mia Watanabe and Suzume level of like widely accepted as being like the future of the company. But she is kind of with this match is right up there now with like yeah, she's somebody that down the line could main event a yeah. lot of Corrigans and could, um, yeah, of uh, course give, give her give her like the spots Mia or uh, especially give the spots that, that Suzume has to her as well, and you will mm -hmm. see. Okay, she's definitely not below them or like far yeah. behind them yeah uh, she's equally talented i would say it's just like yeah, a matter of definitely. experience and, and matter uh, of like chances it's often wrestling um i i hate to like bring this up but if you look like at other companies always like the same you say okay that's the best wrestling company i'm like yeah they are but you have like 10 other people who <laughs> could be as good or like seen as yeah. good if you get the chances yeah, that's the thing. There's this tendency in wrestling to kind of like, like you can't definitively say a lot of the time one wrestler is the best because it's a matter of like, well, of course they're the best because they're the ones that are getting, you know, the main events and the, the spotlights and the, the chances and stuff. It's like um, the whole Roman Reigns thing of like, if you push a wrestler for eight years, of course they're going to get over because you can't possibly fail that many times. Um, <laughs> and with somebody like Arisu, it's just a matter of like, I mean, TGPW tends to be okay at this, I find, where it's like they have a hierarchy, so you know a wrestler will get the chance eventually. Um, they just have to kind of like work for it. And because Suzume and Miu have been in the company like a few years more than Arisu has, um, they're just a bit further ahead. But the more Arisu gets those chances, she is going to be at that level. Um, and I think this match was a really good opportunity for her. Um, especially as it, it came about completely accidentally, I think it was a really um, to, to be able to deal with that and, and I don't think this match would have been as good as it was if it was the co-main event um, No, it was simply because it would have gotten way less time Yeah um, Because you, so could, you can expect that like that, like the main event the, the Hakuchuma versus Majirebi match would have been like 20 plus minutes instead of hmm. now like the, the co-main are being like 17 or something so yeah. it would have been like maybe around 10, 11 minutes and it still would have been good, but it's obviously different to have a match like that in a co-main event or being the match on the card. Yeah, like it felt like they both had a point to prove and they both lived up to the pressure really well. And um, I think it's really encouraging for TJPW that they can stick to lower card, if you like, wrestlers into a main event and still have it be really good. Um, so it's like... For all the talk about how people like, you know, Yuka and Miriam Master and Makito becoming less involved, um, the future is very, very solid, I think. They're not going to struggle. Um, yeah. th there's mm. going to be a transition, but they're not going to be... At least, at least talent-wise, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
the problem TGPW might get, and it's just might because you never know, it's just hmm. who's going to put those new talents over if everyone is leaving, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true, because it's like, it feels like right now um, Rika is around, and Rika's probably like, because obviously Yuka's leaving, you get the sense that Makiuto, even though she has this big match coming up, is becoming less and less involved. Um, and we, I guess we can touch upon this now because Maki will be facing Mizuki for the belt. I think next month is, is Summer Sun Princess. Yeah. Um, um. And the build to that match has consisted of Makiuto doing vlogs in America. That's kind of been it because Makiuto is not around in DGBW. She's very much America based right now. Um, same with Mia Yamashita. Um, so it does kind of feel like the bigger stars are moving on so i would say of like the current crop of like super involved tgpw wrestlers rika tatsumi is probably at the top um and then mizuki um and then you've got shoko who kind of like doesn't have the same kind of like um shoko doesn't have like that final boss air that a lot of the others have but she's still kind of like a veteran so shoko mizuki and rika are still around and they're kind of like the free um uh gatekeep gatekeepers if you like but yeah it's weird it's like with that maki and mizuki match i, I it's such a big match and you kind of wish that ito was around more to build it up because now it kind of well, feels like either mizuki's gonna win and it's going to be a bit, you know, we knew that was going to happen. Or Makihisa wins, and it's like, what happens now? The problem now? is also, if, if you go into like details and outside of, okay, the story, how is it told? <clears throat> um, in the end, it's still a business day. Someone needs to sell tickets. <laughs> so having like wrestlers in your main spots who are not around, or like not being able to build up the match, especially in something like Japan, where like mm. most of the matches are built up via um, tour show matches and like like touring matches or, or hurricane holds but it just have like like a tag match and build it up it's like okay it, we have like nothing for the uh, some some of the prince show and that shows yeah. kind of the build up of this is kind of unlucky because of course um you cover nyla rose which was one of the biggest matches they had especially yeah. for international fans now off as well we don't yeah. know what what nyla rose gets for this show then you have the princess belts are not on the show because um, they are now vacant and <laughs> we don't know what's happening with them as of right now. Then you have um, Yuki Aina versus Ruka Tatsumi, and that's not a knock against Yuki Aina. You know, I'm not the biggest Yuki Aina fan, hmm. but I still think she, especially in 2023, she's getting really good or like good in ring. But that is also not, I wouldn't say that's the most exciting match you could book for one of your biggest shows of the year. Yeah, like Rika and I know is like it's one of those matches where it's going to be good, but you're not like, oh yeah, like you're not out of your seat for it. You're just sort of like, it's going to be good, but it is more of a Corrigan main event than a Summer yeah. Sun Princess co main event. Um, like TGPW right now feels a bit like, you know how like Chelsea are a club who like are always kind of like behind the scenes in crisis, but they always manage to like win a Champions League or win a league or just like sort of manage to stay successful despite like the behind the scenes stuff that kind of feels in tgpw right now where there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes but they're still doing really well and it's a matter of like 
are the wheels going to fall off? Is Summer Sun Princess going to be like the show where you really feel like, oh yeah, stuff is kind of like getting messed up? Or are they going to keep doing what they do and being really good in spite of what's going on? Um, because there's a lot of like... Definitely yeah. be, be still good because that's the quality standard at least TGW mm. has for, for the big shows. Um, I personally wasn't like the biggest fan of Grand Princess in terms of compared to the other big shows they had in recent time, but it was mm. still a good show, even due to the some some stuff that happens outside of it. And it's going to be the same here. The problem, obviously, is okay, what happens in the future? What happens at Wrestle Princess? You have the Princess Cup coming up that sets up the main event, that's okay. Then you have the 10th anniversary, and you don't know what happens after. I mean, the rumors that, that Maki Tong is leaving full-time is, are there for a while now. Mm. I don't think that happens because she said that she does not want to move to America, but a ton of wrestlers said that and still <laughs> did it. <laughs> so yeah. you never know with that. You obviously don't know what's going on with Miriam Mashta because she leans to go over to America much more often. So she kind of... I wouldn't say she is like like gone, but she's not someone who you can fully trust to be there all the time anymore like you had in the past. Um, Shoko Nakajima already had like like reigns and she is just going to be a transitional title challenger at this point, I guess, in her career. And you have Rika Tatsumi. He's like now still the IP champion and still going to be for a while. So like you have the young girls who need to step up now. Mm. Um me Watanabe, of course, Susan May, Arisa Ando, all of them need to step up the game right now and fill the fill the roles that normally like the top like like Yuka had, normally like Makita had, kind of like Mizuki had, even though Mizuki is now not a role. Like, you know, if you have some elevate someone into main event spot and the top of the cup, you need someone to step up and close another gap. And that's gonna be something really interesting in teaching PW in the future because the the talents are definitely there. It's just if they're gonna do it or not. Yeah, like it's it's a it's very much like we all knew this was gonna happen. We knew that eventually, like the whole four pillars thing would have to dissolve, and we'd have to have like the next generation moving up. I think it's just happened in such a sudden way with the Yuka leaving and with Maki and Miu being so occupied with America, where now like the top level of TGPW feels a lot more sparse so we are having to kind of like turbocharge the Miyu Watanabe's and the Suzume's and the Irisu's, uh maybe the Yuki Arise as well uh, into oh, that yeah, kind of like um, but, but and the thing about, with... Yuki, Yuki, thing about Yuki Arise been... but she's like a real draw as well like she's popular oh, yeah. amongst like the uh... yeah and, and the problem with Yuki Arise is you never know what's going to happen next month I mean yeah, chance that she just decides, okay, I'm stopping wrestling because it's <laughs> dangerous for my Korean idol scene mm. is always a possibility. I hope not because I, I'm i not the biggest fan, but I enjoy her. Mm. I enjoy to watch her, but it's like, you know, it's always a possibility with her. Yeah, like Yuki Urai, like, she's not like the other ones in that Yuki Urai kind of like has a career outside of this that she probably prioritizes more. Um, so obviously for as good as she is at wrestling, she's not really going to be like the next ace unless you really know that she's going to be there for a long time um but yeah it's like we, we are in an interesting point now where like i i 
I'm always entertained by TGPW. I don't think that they're in crisis or anything. I don't think that no, they're in a no. bad Everybody spot. It's just, against it. um, yeah, but it's just I'm, like I'm, um, I'm more into the into the tickets and and, and business side and you are, yeah. but like the tickets are still really well. Of course, they are not the number one promotion in terms of Joshi, but they are still like they don't sell many. They don't sell less tickets than DDT does, yeah. and. They are like one of the top companies still in Japan, do really well. Um, some of some princess looks good from ticket sales and will do well from ticket sales. So it's not like they have a problem and might fold in like five weeks or so, mm. or like five months. They are totally fine. It's just they need to push the young talents and 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 kind of like like have to need to like fill the spots and normally the Yukazakazagios have now. Of course, with Yuka's injury, it's kind of unlucky because I would at least think that Yuka was scheduled to put over some of the talents before she goes out. And yeah. now we don't know if she's ever going to wrestle before her last <laughs> match. Yeah, listen, because we do have the Princess Cup coming up and they announced the entrance. It's kind of like all the names you would expect, but you would imagine that maybe Yuka would have been in that tournament because she won last year. Um but obviously I she is. So. I, I think she would have skipped it to do stuff in America. Too. Yeah, probably. It's like because I think Makito has done the same where she's not in it. But Miyu Master actually is in it, which is interesting. Um, so what happens there uh, uh, will be interesting. But um, yeah, because it's like as you say, like assuming that Mizuki does win against Makito, which you would expect. I don't think that they're going to put the belt on Maki if she's not going to be around, especially not for their main tournament. Um, and especially with with the story they are telling of yeah. um, Misaki defeating all the pillows, it would be kind of weird to like just drop it to Makito. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be quite an abrupt thing. So the Princess Cup would be a, a big uh, fact. Like I do not think they're gonna do what they did last year and have like one of the younger wrestlers all boost win it. I think this is now the time for them to actually push on win it. Um, Mio Watanabe obviously is the name that comes to mind. Um, as like the potential um I mean winner, but yeah there's yeah. there's a few um there, there's a few possibilities. The thing is with TGPW you know okay it it's gonna be the wrestle princess main event. And yeah it's just like with the G1 climax five star Grand Prix or whatever you know okay they are not going put to put in um Mokamiya Moto in this match. <laughs> yeah that's so it's true. like okay you have your few favorites but those favorites are like clear favorites then. I mean, hmm. it's just um, the, the pillars that are still in the tournament, so Zarika and, and Shoko, and then uh, Shoko and Miyu, and hmm. then of course um, Mizuki and Miyu Watanabe, and I think the two champions are out of the con uh, conversation. So yeah. You have like your three favorites with, with Miyu, uh, and Miyu, Miyu, and Shoko, and that's <laughs> going to be like, one of them's going to win it. Hmm. I think it would be like really funny though with all this talk of like the shifting landscape if they had Miyu Yamashita win the tournament. Like I could, I can kind of like. I could see it, and I think yeah. she's a favorite simply because her feud or like her 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 story with, with Mizuki isn't over yet. Yeah. The story of Mizuki is like she never beat Miyu Yamashita in like a big singles match mm. for the title. Yeah, so I could actually like. For all this talk about how things are changing, it could. I mean, to be fair, Mew's never won the cup, but it would be kind of quite. Um, yeah, but, but, but yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it's definitely it's either Mew Watanabe, Mew Yamashita, or Shoko were kind of like the 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 favorites, and I reckon 
I don't think they're going to have Shoko win because she's already kind of been there and done that. Yeah, well, um, I I had a, I'm I'm sorry that I'm, I I know you are not into into booking stuff that much <laughs> as I am, but I'm like okay, if I could book it or like what I would do is just um, give her give give Mizuki the the Mio challenge, uh, new Yamashita challenge at Wrestle Princess, then. Either your or the tenth anniversary spot uh, is is for Yuka, and then Grand Princess is Miu Watanabe dethroning Mizuki. That's yeah. what I would do because then you have Mizuki getting a long run, which she deserves after all the time, and also having her going through all the all the pillars in the like ending the chances for the title and like putting them down. Okay, you are not on the level of the new generation. Even though Mizuki is not the new generation, but you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, that works really. I, I like the idea of her, like her reign being the thing that brings the new generation like into the forefront. We've had like the the Shoko reign and the Yuka reign that are kind of like a tribute to the older kind of generation, and now we're moving into the future. Um, yeah. So, with that in mind, I could see like Miyu Master winning and having that be like kind of not closing the door, but kind of. Moving on to the next chapter of of the the Bell anti GPW in general, um, so yeah, like I think interesting months, interesting year ahead. Um, I'm excited to see where things go, um, and I think that's really all we have to talk about. Um, yeah, Summer Sun Princess coming up next month, uh, which will be an exciting show, and then we have the Princess Cup. Um, yeah, that's been all from me. Uh, this podcast is part of the Wrestling Network. We've got loads of cool stuff. We've got articles on our website. We've got um, Patreon where we have like, exclusive watch-alongs. We have interviews. We've got other podcasts. We've got uh, Ace Techers, Purevision, Ocean Cyclone Show, Flight of Five. Uh, go check that out. Um, I've been Finlay. Uh, I've been joined by Yannick, who is part of the Five Star Network. Is there anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's p under slash under slash wrestling. I'm the host of the Pure Gems podcast, which is a podcast for every single wrestling company in Japan. It's like not a major thing. So from like yeah. all Japan, Pro Wrestling Wave, of course, um, and, and stuff like that. Go check it out. It's, it's a ton of fun because we talk about stuff nobody else talks about as much. <laughs> I've I've listened to I your had, podcast and it's like there are promotions I haven't even heard of before. Yes, <laughs> like, so. I I got Sam to watch Big Japan and watch the greatest <laughs> experience of my life. Yes, um, but yeah, do listen to that because Yannick is a fantastic um, <laughs> producer of content. Um, thank you. Yes, uh, but that has been all. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, goodbye and good night. Bang. Bang. <laughs> mm.